Hello and welcome to the Glow Journal podcast, a conversation with the beautiful minds behind the world's biggest beauty brands. I'm your host, beauty writer Gemma Watts, and in this episode, I'm joined by the founder of People Hair Care, Catherine Ruiz. This is one of those great conversations that I think and obviously hope you'll be able to take a lot from completely regardless of whether or not you're interested in beauty. Catherine herself never pictured herself starting a beauty brand, but she has always had an interesting relationship with her hair and that relationship was sort of a visual representation of the relationship she had with herself. Catherine has naturally curly hair, but as so many of us do, wanted hair she didn't have. So she grew up straightening it, slicking it back, whatever she could do to disguise its natural texture. Similarly, she tells me that at that time, she didn't really love herself. She was pretending to be totally confident, but didn't truly feel it until she's really started working on that relationship with herself as an adult. Coincidentally or otherwise, it was around this time that she started embracing her curly hair. Catherine founded People Hair Care in 2022 out of a wish for hair care for everyone, meaning hair care for each unique hair type and hair care at an accessible price point. The brand is physically accessible too, launching into 800 Coles stores nationally from day one, which I was so interested to hear about from a business perspective as I'm so used to speaking with brand founders who've been digitally native for a period of time before hitting the shelves. Why I think you're going to love this chat is because, as you'll hear, Catherine's career path has not been at all linear. She's a really great example of the fact that you don't have to have everything figured out in order to be happy and to be successful. What you do need to do is work hard, be open to learning and put yourself out there. In this conversation, Catherine shares how she's working to convert supermarket customers who have previously shopped habitually, why you shouldn't wait for the first version of your product to be perfect, and just how important it is to ask for what you want. I understand that you've been a hair fanatic your entire life. So let's start at the very beginning. What is your earliest memory of beauty? My earliest memory would be brushing my little sister's hair. Yeah. Uh, there's actually a photo of me brushing her hair. So I'm unsure if it's like the photo yep. that has sparked the memory or it's an actual memory, but let's go with that. Um, I think only now I realise the impact of having your hair done yeah. and how that can make you feel. Obviously, at the time, I was unaware. But I think now, looking back, it's a really big part of why I'm doing what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I'm not physically touching people's hair. Yeah. But I can have that impact on a larger scale in the way that people interact with their hair at home and how that makes them feel. When do you think you realised how your relationship to your hair made you feel specifically like your relationship to your own hair? Yeah, I think hair's definitely been a big part of my life mm-hmm. for since I was very young. Uh, and again, only looking back now can I connect those dots. 
But I think when I think about my relationship with my hair, I always hated what I had. You know, I had always wanted the dead straight hair. I was always straightening my hair. Whether it wasn't straightened, it was pulled right back. So I think it's only really now that I've learned to embrace what I have. Um, I think as well my relationship with myself has really evolved. Mm -hmm. When I was, you know, younger, I didn't love myself. Um, Right. I really, this confidence that everyone thought that I had was quite, felt like quite an act. Mm -hmm. Um, So as I've grown up and developed and really learned to love myself, part of that is then embracing my hair and my curls and also having the knowledge to know what to do with it. Mm. I think with curly hair, it is challenging at time. Every day is very different. So it's been nice to have those tools to be able to feel confident about what I do with my hair Mm. day to day and then how that makes me feel as I go about my day. This might be like a difficult question to answer, but when do you think, I mean, was it like a light bulb or a gradual thing? When do you think you stopped acting as this confident person and actually like became that person? Yeah, I think I did a lot of work on myself, uh, which gave me the tools to be comfortable with who I am Mm -hmm. and really learn to love myself. Like I definitely grew up with a lot of love around me. So it wasn't like I wasn't loved or Mm. um, felt left out. It was just a real internal battle with myself that I had to, you know, understand what it is to be me and -hmm. just own that. And I don't think it was a light bulb moment. I think it was, yeah, definitely this work that I did over a period of time to understand who I am and just embrace that. And I think, you know, it's a big part of the foundations of the brand as well that we are so unique. You know, our brand positioning, Hair Care for Everyone, is really about having an option for everyone. Mm. You know, I think skincare has done a really good job at identifying the fact that everyone's skin is so different and unique. And I think there's a real education piece that can, you know, be better, done better Mm. um, to educate people about how unique your hair is. You obviously had an early affinity for hair. If we take that photo of you brushing your sister's hair, you didn't become a hairdresser though. What did you think that you would grow up to be? I actually thought I was going to be a firewoman. I know. I love that. Yeah. We had, I have such a vivid memory of a fireman coming and talking to us about his job when I was in primary school. You're the first, I'm just thinking this is season five. I think this is the first (laughs) firewoman. We had a lot of marine biologists. That's the big (laughs) one, but firewoman. Yeah, firewoman. So that probably passed quite quickly, but Still, even now, I'm like, oh, maybe I should go and volunteer or something because it was my first real, you know, understanding of what I could be mm-hmm. when I grew up. Um, then I think it developed into wanting to be a singer or a performer. I was always growing up dancing, singing. Yeah. So I really, I would dream of like being on Broadway. We have that and in all common. Of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Love. <laughs> and then I think I started towards high school playing a lot with photos and photography Ah. and I think that's really where I developed my sense of creativity. Mm -hmm. I got in a lot of trouble for spending more time on that than my homework but 
yeah, that was, I think, a big part of, you know, me understanding more about myself and what I enjoyed and then kind of all stemmed from there, I guess. I love that. So if research serves me, you studied business management at university after a little stint studying advertising. Where did you picture those studies taking you? What was the goal? So it was never a real big academic in school. Yeah. Uh, I always really enjoyed subjects like business management, psychology, photography. Uh, but, yeah, I I'd, I'd struggled a little bit in school in that mm-hmm. environment of learning. Um, I think when I got into advertising, I was doing it because it's what I got into. Right. I think when I reflect on that period of my life now, I can appreciate that I was probably a little bit lost at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So it was just the natural progression that it's what I got into. So mm-hmm. it's what I would do. Um, I really struggled with that lecture style learning approach. I found that I responded better from real life work, yeah. you know, experience. So yeah, I lasted all of six months in advertising. Uh, mm-hmm. And then I went and worked full time for three years. And then I think there was still a part of me that thought I needed that piece of paper for people to take me seriously. I think I knew I always wanted to do my own thing, but I thought that I needed that for people to, yeah, take me seriously or have that credibility. So Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I'm going to go back. I'm going to give this a go. So I went and did, yeah, business management. Which is so wild in retrospect that you'd been working full-time for three years. People study, they get the piece of paper so they can get a mm full-time job, but there's Mm -hmm. still like something's been conditioned to make us go, oh, we got to do this. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I only, I lasted half, like I got halfway through. Yeah. And then um, I got offered the job at Richmond Football Club. Yes. Yeah, and I just didn't look back. Like from there I just knew that things were happening around me and that I should just trust that and not worry about what everyone thinks that I should do. I mean, I love that you figured that out six months in instead of like the end (laughs) of the course. Well, yeah, halfway through for the business management and then... Yeah, still I better than in the end. Yeah, talk me through. I mean, the career timeline is interesting to me. You, as you've mentioned, you worked for my beloved mm-hmm. Richmond Football Club. Not talking about <laughs> finals. Um, you were managing the marketing for Rolled, and then by mid to late two thousand nineteen, you were managing director at Anatomy Studios, which mm-hmm. is still part of your role now. Tell me about that business and what led you to that point. Yeah, so I worked in the commercial partnerships team at Richmond Mm -hmm. Football Club, so assisting in uh, delivering contractual game day deliverables and things like that. Learned a lot from my time there. Mm -hmm. And whilst I loved my role there, I felt like I was ready to move on to something else. So my dad actually always had worked in hospitality. So when the role Mm. at Rold came up, it really kind of sparked my interest. I knew as well from my time at Richmond that marketing was something I was interested in and gravitated towards, wanted to explore a bit more of. So, yeah, I think that three years at Rold, leading, you know, general manager of marketing and brand really assisted me in having the foundations to go on to being the leadership role that I'm in now. Mm. Uh, But, yeah, certainly I think my role in anatomy was something that I would never have pictured, but I knew I always wanted to be my own boss. I knew I always wanted to have my own business or do my own thing. I just 
couldn't really picture what it was. So I was always like writing notes about possible things and, you know, trying to work out what it was. But again, it's so funny how life works. Things just present themselves. So anatomy was actually the creative agency for Rolled. Right. So it was, again, my dad who said, have you ever thought about working for anatomy studios? Go dad. I I, love this. I actually hadn't. So... I actually went and had a chat with Matt, who's the creative director and founder of Anatomy, and Mm -hmm. just said, you know, this is what I want to do. I really want to be involved in a business. I'm not really looking to just be an employee. Uh, These are the things that I want. What do you think about it? And he was like, well, yeah, I've thought about it. I've thought about working with you. So, yeah, we I started working for the agency. We drew up the heads of agreement and then that was that. I love that you like just pulling a like tangible piece of advice from that. I love that you physically went to him and was like, okay, this is what I'm looking mm-hmm. for because I feel like it's so I mean, easy doesn't feel like the right word, but to just sit and wait for like a job to be advertised or some sort of role to come up and be like, oh, that's a good idea. But the fact that you physically went out of your way and was like, okay, this is where I'm at. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Like when I think back on that now, I'm like, wow, like go <laughs> you, Catherine. Yeah, you know, that's great. You know, but at the time it just felt so innate. Yeah. Like it's what I wanted. So I love it. yeah, I'd really, I think, encourage people to do the same mm. thing. Just, you know, ask for what you want. Yeah. Because, I mean, realistically, the worst that someone's going to say is like, oh, the timing's not quite right. Exactly. You've got nothing to lose. Yeah, truly while we're kind of on lessons, having worked in marketing and branding for quite some time prior to launching People, what were some of the lessons that you picked up when your career was still in its infancy that you find you're still applying to your work now? Yeah, I think that one is a big one. Yeah, I think that's a big part of who I am as well, mm-hmm. making it known what I want and going after, yeah. after it. Like even my role in Richmond it was supposed to be just a holiday role, you know, contract role where I was working on reception to fill someone who'd gone away. Yeah. And then I got there and the culture and the environment of working for a football club is like nothing I've ever Mm -hmm. had experienced before. So I knew that it's what I wanted to do. So I just made it known, like everyone that came through, I was like, this place is amazing. I would love to work here. You know, you know, I'm really interested in events and working in marketing. If any role comes up, please yeah. consider me. And I just went at that for like the whole time I was there. You and sure to. enough, like on my last day, the head of HR came up and she was like, actually, we've got a role coming up. Would you be interested in having a look at what it looks like? And I was like, Very much so. But they wouldn't have known to uh, if you had just been like going through the motions. They would have gone, bye. Exactly. And a lot of people do that. You know, a lot of people are scared to, you know, really vocalise or think that, oh, you know, what do they think of me? Do they think I'm being too pushy? And as you said, like I think you've just got nothing to lose. Truly. I think, you know, outside of that, the one percenters are really important. Mm. I remember, again, going back to Richmond, our GM of commercial at the time was really big on even little things like we never called them our sponsors. They were always, you know, our game day partners. Love or, that. Yeah, our partners with mm. with um, Richmond. And he had this amazing skill of finding out little details about people, about our partners and really personalising his approach to people. Uh-huh. Uh, so I've tried to carry that with me in everything mm. that I do since then. This... 
this might be a massive generalization from me, but I was talking to one of my friends recently who works with a lot of like university aged students. And she was saying that a lot of them seem to think that you're career trajectory has to be so linear so for example if someone's like I want to work in marketing for a beauty brand they think okay so my first job has to be in a junior marketing role for a beauty brand and then I'll get promoted and then I'll just work my way up the ladder but it's so not like that like the stepping stones yeah you can be moving forward but it's not necessarily in a straight line knowing your background and knowing that you have worked across so many different spheres, what advice can you offer to anyone who might be feeling a little bit lost and isn't quite sure which step they want to take next? Yeah, such a great question. Thank you. Uh, I think, yeah, I'm really grateful and proud of my career journey. I think everything that I've done has really shaped what I'm doing mm. now. And as, you know, I've said, I've, I dr- I've drawn from different experiences and different mentors that I've worked with that have enabled me to do what I'm doing now. Uh, I think to anyone who feels like that, I think there's a lot of trust in the process. So yeah, I think if you focus on doing the things that make you happy that you feel passionate about and you love what you do, you just have to trust that the rest will come. Let's talk people hair care. At what point did you start to think about the idea for a hair care brand? When did that sort of start to ruminate and what was the gap that you were looking to fill? From a young age, I remember going to the hairdresser and feeling shame Mm -hmm. or embarrassment around the hair care that I was using. Yeah. When I was younger, I couldn't afford to have, you know, buy the salon brands out of my own pocket money. Um, And so I really wanted to debunk that stigma that you can't have or you can't buy salon quality hair care from the supermarket. Mm -hmm. You know, I truly believe that no matter who you are, what hair type you have, you should be able to have access to premium hair care that works, um, that's affordable, that it's accessible to everyone. It's a big reason why we, you know, went with Coles to have Mm. that accessibility and also to provide it at an affordable price point. Like, you know, we're not trying to be the the cheapest product in the supermarket, Mm -hmm. but we do want to make sure we perform, that we work and that we are in an affordable price range for people. Um, So, yeah, I think, like, again, without knowing, Mm -hmm. it did start from quite a young age. And then a big part of that also was around, like, as our brand positioning is, building something that is for everyone and giving everyone that access to find something that is for their unique hair type Mm. uh, because all of our hair is so different. Uh, Gone, I think well, should be the days where you just, you know, there's one generic shampoo yeah. conditioner for everyone. You really need to understand what your high hair type is mm. and then finding the product that suits you. Yeah. So where did you go from there? It's one thing to identify that gap, another thing entirely to say, okay, I've found the gap, I'm going to fill it. So how did you find the right manufacturer, source packaging, all of those little steps that lead to physically launching a brand? Mm. Yeah, I think... And going back to your previous question, another good tip or le- lesson that I've learned is the importance of relationships. Mm-hmm. So I've really valued and 
the people that I've surrounded myself with, yeah. with. I think, you know, you are a reflection of who you surround yourself with. And so I've made sure that throughout my journey and my career, especially in such different industries, I've maintained those connections. And I think, you know, to, to your previous question again, like just working in beauty. Yes, of course, you can meet so many people mm-hmm. within the beauty industry, but you'll find that by being in different industries, everyone knows different people and has different yeah. experiences that you can draw on. So a big part of what was next was yeah, drawing on those relationships that I've built and establishing really good advice from good people mm. around me to kind of point me in the right direction. Like, yeah, there was definitely a lot of trial and error, error in yeah. there. I remember, you know, working on the formulas I had, well, even now, like on my birthday, I had like half a head of one product <laughs> and half a head of something else because we're trialing, you know, different yeah. styling products. I remember early days I went to dinner with someone and they said, what is going on with the left side of your hair? Because <laughs> we were just, you know, constantly, you know, formulating, mm. making sure that they were working and doing what they said they were going to do. How long did the process take from having the idea through to it being on the shelf? Yeah, this is when I think back now and, it, you know, it wasn't even that long ago, but it's a bit crazy. We built the brand in less than 12 months. So, wow. Yeah, like I think having our own branding studio helped a lot sure. because it meant we, we knew, wow. yeah, we could just go straight into it yeah. from, you know, the design and marketing perspective. Uh, it, we also started building it at the back end of COVID. So right. we had a lot of time where we just went all in. Yeah. Um, I have quite uh all in kind of personality. Yeah. Like if I'm doing something, I'm all in or I'm not doing it at all. So yeah. it definitely consumed a lot of my time um, mm. during that period. But I am so fortunate as well that we had that extra time yeah. to really do that and make build, you know, my baby in, yeah. you know, quite a difficult time for a, a lot of businesses. But, yeah, you know, it's amazing. Mm. You know, we did have to compromise in some areas. We, sure. we knew that the one thing we wouldn't compromise was the product and yep. the formula had to work. But little things like, you know, you probably wouldn't notice it. You know, the average, you know, consumer probably wouldn't mm-hmm. notice it. But there's things that I notice. <laughs> like, you know, we had to go to market with a label instead of the the screen, the, the design yeah. being screen, screen printed onto the bottle. So we're only just now starting to transition all the labels out yep. and all the design being on the bottle, which like, makes me feel so happy when I start to see the different <laughs> variants in Coles all changed over. But I think that's also, you know, another thing that I learned is I have quite, uh, I'm, you know, a kind of person who likes things done properly. Yeah. But, you know, when you have your own business and your own brand, not everything's going to be perfect all the time. It's not going to be perfect most of the time. Mm-hmm. So you have to get really comfortable with, it not being, you know, your version of 100%. You know, Mm. someone else's version of 100% might be your 80%. So, yeah, a lot of people said we couldn't do it. Like literally our manufacturer was like, there is no way you're going to make that (laughs) review deadline. But we were just determined. That's such nice motivation. Yeah, I was like, well, we're going to prove you wrong. Watch us. Like (laughs) I remember having calls early days of being like no 100% we're going to do this like I'm determined so I think that really motivated us to 
get it on shelves in March. I love that. I wish I could go back and tell early listeners of the podcast that the first version of something isn't going to be perfect because, it, it. I mean, in retrospect, it sounds like I recorded it in a tin can, but that's <laughs> fine. Tell me about the name and the branding because obviously that being your background, what was it like working on the branding for something of your own as opposed to something for a client? Yeah, so special. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think when I reflect on the process of building it during COVID, mm. it definitely felt like I was meant to do this and it still That's feels right. like that now. You know, every day is challenging. Like there's always something new but I always mm. am loving what I'm doing. I'm loving the challenge. I'm loving, you know, I go every time I go into Coles, I go and look at the product. Like I don't get sick of it, you know. It's always like that pinch me moment. Um. But, yeah, the P is actually designed from the gender-neutral symbol. So, yeah, that, that positioning of hair care for everyone mm. and why we're called people is so that it has that inclusivity element to the brand. Uh, and, yeah, I think with our background in branding, a lot of the key work up front was around what the strategic branding was going to be. So before we even started designing or anything like that, it was understanding what we wanted people to feel, what was mm. going to make us stand out, what do we stand for, you know, what is our point of difference, what does the brand's, brand sound like, and then we, we then went into, you know, the visual elements of it. Mm. We definitely wanted to have that balance of masculine and feminine shapes in there. So you'll see, like, the shapes actually represent either the letters of the variant or, like, if it's an oil, it's an oil, things like that. Wow. Um and then matching different colours so that as a consumer you can easily go to the shelf Mm. and just go, yeah, I'm the pink one or I'm the green one. Like you'd see sometimes other brands, they just all look the same and sometimes it is confusing to know which one's your one. Yes, it is. So, yeah, but, you know, that's still a work in progress, like little things like making sure our logo is still prominent enough and that people don't think we're the brand that's got the shapes, like Mm -hmm. who are you actually so it's ever evolving the i mean the launch timeline was already interesting to me but now knowing how quickly you pulled it off that like my completely blows my mind so many of the founders that i've interviewed though have say launched like an e-com platform and then from there it's you know got a bit of traction and then they've been picked up by a retailer you launched into coles so something like 800 stores nationally from day dot, I I know that the the choice to go into Coles was because you are filling that gap for, you know, premium supermarket hair care because, I mean, it didn't exist. But why the choice to launch into Coles as opposed to starting online and then going from there? Yeah, through the network that I had, we mm-hmm. had the opportunity to present to Coles. That's amazing. So... That was just all we were focused on. Mm. Like as soon as we had that opportunity, we just didn't think about anything else. Yeah. I knew for the brand it would be such a great opportunity for us to have that accessibility for our customers yeah. early on. So we just went full, you know, heads mm. down on that opportunity in front of us. Did that present any challenges? Because I imagine particularly from like a stock numbers level a little different to be launching into over 800 stores compared to having a website and being able to like keep the stock in your garage Mm -hmm. did that 
you know, proved difficult in any way? Yeah, I think for us, we always knew we wanted to be at that scale. Yeah. It was always a risk that we were willing to take. Again, we didn't really think of it any differently. It was like, this is what we wanted to do. We knew we had to hit that deadline for that review that was coming up. So it definitely had its moments. Like I remember the first time I saw the product at the factory ready to be sent to Coles. I think, you know, you get so involved in building of the brand and you know riding that wave that the moment that I saw that physical product in the in the factory mm. I was like wow I really hope we sell this product because there is so much <laughs> of it you know when you see it in front of you like that mm-hmm. it's quite I think that's when I really understood the risk that we were taking that's good that you figured that out after <laughs> we we committed to the order yeah, yeah. it's probably for the best. <laughs> um not necessarily coals but what advice can you give to anyone who is you know in the early stages of developing a product and they want to get it in front of the decision makers mm-hmm. at a retailer again i think it's really important to be doing something that you love yeah to believe in what you're doing like for me hair just feels so authentic i could talk about it all day uh, so when I'm put in front of someone, it feels authentic and yeah. people can tell that. Oh, so yes, they can. You, and, you know, you would know it's it feels really natural. So it's important to find something that you believe in and make sure it works. Mm-hmm. You know, that was, again, a big part of why I built the brand was I was tired of brands making all these promises that they couldn't keep. So having a product that you know will deliver and then being really authentic about that in your approach I think is really important. The products are formulated, made and manufactured in Australia. Why was that a non-negotiable for you? Yeah, I think it was important to support local Australians. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think we're all really proud to be Australian as well. So I think as consumers we do respond to an Australian brand. Yeah. Uh, So that was... In, in the experience I'd had in branding, working with some of our other partners, I knew that that was something that worked really well with other brands. And I think there was that quality control element as well. So we're able to, you know, tweak things, you know, not easily, but more easily yeah. than what we would if they were offshore. And I think lastly, that sustainability factor. So, you know, we're not getting these products in, you know, offshore, you know, they're right here, they're locally made and owned, which, yeah, I think is a great place to be. I'm always fascinated by the education piece that has to come with launching a new brand. I, I mean, I could be wrong, but I would imagine the challenge with launching into the supermarket space is that a lot of those customers are shopping habitually like they're just going up and down the aisles grabbing whatever it is that they've bought for their whole life how did you approach the task of converting new customers Mm -hmm. in that space yeah I think further to that there's also that as I mentioned that stigma that you can't buy quality at the supermarket And I think, you know, Woolies and Coles are doing a really good job at investing in new brands and Mm. new startups and bringing quality products, more premium products to the supermarket aisles. 
but that first and foremost, like that was something that we really want to talk about. And in our messaging, we, we talk about it, we call it out. And even in the supermarket space, you know, we know that we're the leaders in products that perform. Mm. I think our partnership with Coles was really helpful as well. So they really supported us in uh, making sure that our brand, whatever marketing activity we're doing outside of Coles, we're also doing things in the supermarket as well so that the two channels were talking to one another. And, you know, the product works. Mm -hmm. it, It performs. So because we backed our formulas so much, we knew that if we got it into the right hands or as many hands as possible and people just tried it, they would fall in love with it. So that's been a big part of our strategy is just making sure that we're getting it out there into as many hands as possible. It's actually, you raise a really good point. There's so much talk, I mean, from myself included, about strategy and about the marketing, but like beyond all of that, the product has to be mm-hmm. good. Otherwise, yeah, you'll get people to buy it once, but then you're the never going to get a return. Yeah. Exactly. You've got five... I guess, ranges, so to speak, smooth, hydrate, volume, repair and blonde as well as a mask and a leave-in treatment that I have in front of me. Am I right in saying was blonde the most recent launch? That's correct. How does that product development process work for you? Are you constantly thinking about what might come next? Are you working off what your customers are asking for or is it a balance of the two? Yeah, it's definitely a bit of both in... Yeah, in May this year, we launched Blonde and the All-in-One Treatment Mm. and they were both products that we were actually working on from when we first started or we first launched the brand. They were just products that took a little bit longer to get right. I with Blonde in particular. And, you know, the treatment does so many things. That's why we called it All-in-One. It's literally like it does everything. So excited. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, it is a bit of both. I think we're always making sure we're listening to our consumers because at the end of the day they're the ones who are going to purchase the product. Of course. But then there's also a balance of understanding what salon trends are and then pairing that with research to make sure there's actually going to be a big enough demand for the products. Mm. So, yeah, there's quite a lot that we're working on at the moment. We've really, I think, nailed that the wet space in our shampoos and conditioners but you know, off the back of the success with the treatment, we really want to, you know, do a bit more work into the styling mm. space. Yeah. You have sat at the helm of People Hair Care for over 18 months now. We can tack 12 months onto that for the product development period and you spent plenty of time working across hair and beauty brands prior to that. Over, let's say, the last few years, what have been some of the biggest changes that you've seen within the beauty industry? The biggest one for me, I think, is how much smarter we're getting as consumers. I think we're definitely more in, you know, in tune with what we're being, when we're being aggressively sold to. Uh, I think, you know, gone are the days where you can have a beautiful Instagram, design a beautiful product and sell really easily. You know, I've always been a big believer that a brand needs to stand for so much more than just what it physically looks like which is why we did so much work on the messaging but yeah I think as consumers we are getting a lot smarter and so it's important that we're you know obviously always understanding that I think inclusivity has been such a beautiful thing to see the diversity and 
you know, gone are those days where, you know, we're presented something where everyone looks the same. I think, it, you know, I feel quite emotional about it because it's mm. it really, it's so refreshing. Well, given how many years you spent straightening your hair, yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, to the curly girls. Yeah. <laughs> And what changes do you think we can expect to see over the next couple of years? Yeah, I think a lot more, like when you look at the supermarket aisle now, you'll start to see some, you know, new startups and brands that you've never seen before. I think there's still a place for the big corporates, but I think you'll see less of that Mm -hmm. and more of, you know, brands like Coles and Woolies backing startup brands. I also think, as I said, hair is really about to have its time. Yeah. I think, yeah, skincare has been done really well and it's been, you know, you'll see that in the celebrity-backed brands that are all coming out. Mm-hmm. But I could do a, a whole <laughs> other episode on that. But there's a real place, I think, for hair and around the education of hair and d- different hair needs and how unique everyone's hair mm-hmm. is. So I'm really excited about that. Catherine, my final question, what is next for People Hair Care? There's lots happening. <laughs> I feel like I look tired. You don't? You don't? Not in the there's slightest? There's so much going on. Um, yeah, as I said, I think we've done a really great job at presenting a shampoo and conditioner for different hair types and now it's about building out that styling range and having different products that people can have at home. Uh, I I'm definitely can see and I am excited at the, about the opportunity of being a global brand. Mm-hmm. But I think for us it was a really conscious decision to stay local initially. We wanted to really use that That's period wise. to learn from our consumers and understand like what's working and what's not working. You know, I've never done this before so I'm learning and I'm mm-hmm. so happy to say that. I'm not going to get it right all the time so... You know, like with the screen printing, that's yeah. something that, you know, we've got coming up that I'm super excited about that, you know, other people might not be, but I that's am. something that makes me really happy to see on our shelves. But, yeah, I think just making sure we're focusing on getting it right here before we then grow. That was Catherine Ruiz, founder of People Hair Care, which you can find on Instagram at People Hair Care. To read more, you can visit glowjournal.com and for more beauty news, you can find me on Instagram at gemkwatts and at glow.journal. If you liked this episode, please do not forget to subscribe, rate, review and share so other beauty and business lovers can find us. I'm Gemma Watts. You've been listening to the Glow Journal podcast and thank you for joining me. The Glow Journal podcast would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people, the traditional custodians of the land upon which this podcast is produced. We pay our respects to elders past and present.